You're listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Lifelong Learning, featuring thought leaders in the field of continuing medical education. Lifelong Learning is presented in cooperation with the Alliance for Continuing Education in the Health Professions, the International Association of CME Professionals. Here's your host, Senior Vice President of Educational Strategy for Prova Education, Lawrence Sherman. So today we're talking about the development of medical professionals for the future of CPD. And uh, I'm Lawrence Sherman, your host, and with me today is Deborah Gist from the American Academy of Dermatology and, and Dr. Ted Bruno from the France Foundation, which we've learned is neither in France nor a foundation. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. I'm glad we had the opportunity to sit down and chat while we're here at the Alliance for Continuing Education for Health Professions annual meeting. Uh, When I saw your abstract, I said, boy, that's a really interesting topic. And I think it'll be interesting to the practicing healthcare professionals that are listening uh, as we explore maybe the evolution of the role that they can have in continuing professional development. Now, let's focus on that for a second. Continuing professional development may be a new term to people who are more familiar with the term CME. So, Ted, why don't we start off with sort of explaining what that is and what the impact is to the practicing healthcare professional. Sure, thanks, Lawrence. I, I think that the, the term continuing medical education that you know clinicians are familiar with is, is the sitting in a lecture, uh, grand rounds uh, as a medical student, uh, as an attending physician, and sitting in lectures in their society meetings. Um, and I think what we're really looking at is to sort of take that to the next level of, of not just credit for credit's sake, but to actually take what they're learning and apply that into their practice to improve the care of their patients. So really it's a continuous professional development looking at uh, what they can do to sort of help increase the ability to improve patient care. And Deborah, uh, following up on that, do you see incorporation of things besides medical content as you think about CPD for the folks that are part of your academy? Oh, absolutely. Um, Patient safety, communications, um, professionalism. One of the things that the members at the academy um, do a great deal of is volunteerism. Um, We actually just had a conference in Moshi, um, which is in Tanzania, uh, a conference that we do every five years and, and give to the community there. So, so it's interesting. So it's, it's sort of an evolution of the personal education that they've become comfortable with to incorporate things that will make them better in their jobs. Right. Another activity um, that we have for the members, and typically it's the residents who go to our Camp Discovery, which is a, a camp that we have every summer for children with chronic skin disease. And we did a survey last year that showed that the residents felt that they had a better understanding of the patient's conditions, a better understanding of what the the parents go through, how the skin disease impacts their overall quality of life. That's very interesting. Uh, I I hadn't heard of that before. Uh, Ted, uh, it seems to me that practicing healthcare professionals have an opportunity now to play a more active role in their own education. So what are a few things that the practicing physician should be considering as they're thinking about their own CPD instead of just their own CME? Yeah, I think that's really important. I think that um, we, we tend to think of the CME as sort of seat time, but taking a look at the quality movement that's going on and how can we sort of take a look at what's going on in quality and performance improvement and apply that into their practice, uh, typically not thinking that you can get, quote, CME credit for it, but the whole continuum of... Of, of taking what they're doing in their office to improve the care of their patients allows them to get credit not only for CME, but for maintenance of certification, uh, for their board certification, and soon to come the maintenance of licensure. So all the things that they're doing can link up together. 
You, you know, that's interesting. I, I think we're moving from the point collector world to the checklist world, right? So Atul Gawande and his checklists may have application here in CPD. Absolutely. You know, looking at that improvement, what can, what can they actually do? And Deborah, I guess that improvement word makes me think a little bit about quality improvement and performance improvement. So as we think about CPD, what are some things that healthcare professionals can think about incorporating into their own personalized learning networks in CPD to help them improve the quality of the care that they deliver or their performance? Well, one of the things that we do at the Academy is the typical thing of developing clinical guidelines. However, just developing a guideline and posting it online isn't enough. So one of the things that we do is we create clinical application tools and we have an app in development for our psoriasis guidelines to really bring that information, those recommendations to the point of care. Well, that's interesting because uh, I guess, Ted, when, when we think of point of care, we think the point of delivery, but I also think that's the point of question, right? So so as we, as we think about uh, developing our physician learners, healthcare professional learners, uh, what tools do you think they have or, or will have to be able to get their education at the point of care? Well, I think certainly, um, while not in practice anymore, certainly the electronic health records could potentially have prompts that come into play. Um, looking at dashboards in terms of sort of what's going on with their um, patients that they're seeing with hypertension, have they addressed all the issues? Uh, so those sort of prompts can come into play. We're doing a project now where we hope to be able to actually include some clinical guidelines, as Debbie said, into the point of care where they're actually taking care of patients and assessing them for things like lupus or rheumatoid arthritis. Well, and I think that's important because we're getting into that artificial intelligence part of the world, uh, Debbie, that maybe we can help our learners and we can help the practicing healthcare professionals with accessing information when the question comes up instead of hoping that they remember to look it up later. Right. That's incredibly important. And, you know, there's so much new information coming out all the time. There's just no way physicians can keep up with that avalanche of medical information. And that's really where the medical specialties have a a role in developing those um, statements, consensus, uh, protocols, guidelines, um, appropriate use criteria, et cetera, and really helping the providers when they're with the patient um, to take the best care of the patient. And I assume you survey your members, and, and have you learned anything really interesting that we can share with the other practicing healthcare professional community as to what they're looking for as far as tools uh, to assist at the point of care and, and education information gathering? Well, we certainly do a lot of surveys. Um, one of the things that uh, when I first came on board, I looked at the survey that was done in 2009. Over 40% of our members did not even know we had clinical guidelines. So just making them aware that the guidelines exist and finding ways to disseminate that information out to them and also to provide tools that they can use in their daily practice. Well, I think that's an incredible tip, Ted, that we can share with the practicing healthcare professionals that looking into what guidelines exist in the clinical areas in which you're operating now, it's a little bit Uh, more focused for specialists, primary care has a bigger challenge, I would think. I mean, it's a huge challenge. And oftentimes the guidelines are actually written in the specialty journals that the primary care aren't reading on a regular basis. So how can you take the specialty society uh, guidelines, make them applicable to the primary care components, and give them tools and tools to barriers? I mean, lots of barriers. You know, are clinicians feeling comfortable and, and confident to be able to help address some of the issues that patients might be thinking about 
uh, or issues on, on side effects of medication, but how do you address that? It's the Pandora's box. You don't really want to open that sometimes because the uh, it's a busy day. So how can you give them tools to address that? that? That's right. So it's sort of assisting at the point of care. Absolutely. If you're just joining the discussion, you're listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Lawrence Sherman, and I'm speaking with Deborah Gist from the American Academy of Dermatology and Dr. Ted Bruno from the France Foundation. We're talking about developing the CPD professional, and uh, we're here at the Alliance for Continuing Education for Health Professions annual meeting. So let's go down a different path now. So uh, w when I looked at your abstract, I was really intrigued by what you're starting to propose and do for the development of faculty for the education that's being delivered. I think it'd be really interesting to share, Deborah, some of the things that our practicing healthcare professionals can consider when they may be uh, wanting to become more involved as faculty in education moving down the road. Okay, one of the things that in my career I've seen is that we have content experts, but they're not always able to understand the quote-unquote CME rules. And so one of the things that I had an idea for for a long time, and I'm sure I wasn't the only one, is to have a, some sort of education for the faculty, um, speakers and planners for CME activity. And um, we were able to obtain a grant from Estellas, and I reached out to Ted, and together we developed a 10-module online open access educational activity, which uh, module one is, you know, who are the players, because oftentimes the physicians don't know who all the players are in the CME world. We had one on backwards planning um, and basically all the, the phases of a CME planning that should take place. Right. And, you know, Ted, I think that's, that's of interest to the practicing healthcare professional to understand what really goes into preparing the education that they're in. It's not just a person in a room who develops a set of slides, goes in and, and talks about them, but there's so much more. So what two or three things do you think the practicing healthcare professional uh, would be surprised to learn uh, about the development and implementation of the education that they're receiving? Well, I think one of the, the key things that has been going on for quite some time with the movement of actually trying to understand what the educational outcomes of this are. So it's not just sort of sitting in the seats, how many people attended the lecture, could they hear the lecture, was it warm in the room and whatnot, but really trying to understand, did the education that we're providing make an effective change? So certainly in education, trying to understand, uh, can we show those educational outcomes? Did something change with, the, with the clinicians? Did they do something different when they went back to their office the next day or the next week? Um, so really trying to understand that it's very important uh, from an educational perspective and uh, for my fellow clinicians, that's why it's so important to fill out the evaluation form so we can really get this information back. Well, you know, that's, I think, one of the key things that maybe needs to be reinforced, right, Deborah? So when you conduct an activity with the academy and you have maybe at the annual meeting and there's hundreds of people or thousands of people eventually with evaluations, those data are so important, it's not enough to just fill out three straight down the line or five straight down the line, but to fill out those numbers correctly and to give the free-form information so that the education can be made relevant. Absolutely. One of the things that we do at the uh, annual meeting is we carefully select sessions and we do pre- and post-testing. And then we do a follow-up survey. And so we have actually had really good results in terms of improving knowledge and competence and self-reported performance. I think that's really interesting, and I think, you know, those are the things that the learners may not even realize are going on, but, but those data are valuable and important, and sometimes putting it into the context of, hey, you know, this education needs to be relevant to me, 
and I need to be an active participant to make sure that if this wasn't exactly what I needed, I'm asking for what I need next time. I mean, Ted, is that something you think about? Absolutely, and I think, you know, it, it also goes into the types of blended learning that we're trying to improve upon with adult learning. It's always been sort of interesting um, in, the, in medicine that, you know, as a, as a student, you sit in lectures for a while, then you go into the clinics, and it's sort of more of an engaging learning experience. And then you go out and practice, and it's going back to the sort of classroom uh, uh, seats again. We really need to get that more engaging, uh, fulfilling discussions. And I think when we have those kinds of activities with more interaction, it, it really becomes a, a much more engaging pr- uh, process. Yeah, I suppose when we uh, forget to teach based on the practice environment in which they're living every day, it's probably a drawback, Deb. Would you say that? I think it is. Um, You know, physicians oftentimes will select sessions to attend to to validate what they're already doing rather than to really learn something new. But there are those that certainly want to know what the latest and greatest is. And one of the things that um, has been the result of the data that we have provided the planning committees with, they love it. They absolutely love it. And, you know, I've always maintained that physicians love good data. Right. And the more relevant it is, Ted, I suppose, the better it is for them because they can apply it. Absolutely. And I think the other thing that, um, especially here at this meeting now, where we're getting sort of more interprofessional development with other clinicians, I mean, we know it's going to take a healthcare team. And how can you engage the other partners that they're working with, whether it's other specialists, their own team members? Well, uh, the time flew by. Uh, I'd like to ask if there's anything else you'd like to add before we wrap up. Deborah. Well, I think it's a very exciting time, certainly challenging, but we do need to move from the update CME model to team-based, improving healthcare quality model. And, you know, I think there are a lot of opportunities because with change, there's always opportunity. I think that's true, and I think, again, the practicing healthcare professionals can learn that they can play an active role in their own education and not sit back in a passive role and wait for something to find them. Ted, anything you'd like to add? No, I think that's incredibly important, and I think, you know, clinicians, um, you know, they're, they're all, we're all trying to do a great job in sort of how can you sort of improve and use education to sort of help build that link. Well, my thanks to our guests, Deborah Gist from the American Academy of Dermatology and Dr. Ted Bruno from the France Foundation. And we've been talking about the development of the CPD professional here uh, at the Alliance for Continuing Education for Health Professions. I'm your host, Lawrence Sherman, and join us next time. Be sure to visit our website at reachmd.com, featuring podcasts of this and other series. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Lifelong Learning on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals featuring thought leaders in the field of medical education. Lifelong Learning is presented in cooperation with the Alliance for Continuing Education and the Health Professions, the International Association of CME Professionals.